Welcome to Hence the Future podcast. I'm Adam Cronin. And I'm Justin Clark. And today we're discussing the future of travel. With us today is my good friend, John Rogers. John, it's great to have you on. Hey guys, how's it going? Thanks for having me. So John is an avid traveler and someone who just started his own YouTube channel to document some of his travels. And right now he's in Vietnam, is that right? That is. I'm in uh, in Ho Chi Minh City, formerly Saigon, in southern Vietnam. Yeah. Awesome. And I think a good first question to start would be, what do you think the difference is between travel and vacation? Like, why would you say that you're traveling now as opposed to saying you're on vacation or going on holiday? Yeah, I think I think they don't have to be mutually exclusive. Those two things. Um, I think. I think the biggest part. Uh, I think the biggest difference there is is the concept of, of getting away. I think a vacation mm-hmm. is a true uh, escape in a sense. Um, you know, kind of a reboot of sorts. Whereas uh, for me, at least, what I'm trying to do right now uh, is is traveling with a purpose. Um, and again, it doesn't doesn't mean to say uh, that it doesn't. It can't be enjoyable. It can't be fun um, because it is. But I, I think it, a, a bit more of a kind of a focus to it um it's kind of like in no matter what you're doing when you go on a trip you're always going to have some aspect that's sort of the r&r hedonistic just eating great foods and relaxing and that kind of stuff but another slice is going to be really experiencing the place itself and then another slice is experiencing the people and i found that people take really different approaches to travel like when you go abroad you'll just see different groups of people experiencing that culture in totally different ways. I mean, some people, they just use one guidebook and they're totally glued to that guidebook for everything they do. Other people are very like outgoing and friendly and they, you know, just sort of chat up with any of the locals right away. And other people really couldn't care at all about interacting. It's more just about seeing the sites and documenting the trip and I'm curious, what, how would you would describe your own travel style? Yeah, I think that's spot on, and I don't think there's obviously there's no there's no one right way to travel, right? Everyone has their own kind of preference. Uh, for me, though, I think as I've evolved as a traveler, uh, I look back at uh, my first kind of experiences abroad to kind of how I, I uh, how I do it now. Um, I, I I try to go for the serendipity uh, yeah. aspect of now going with very very little plan. For instance, this trip, I, I booked the flight to Vietnam, and other than the hostel for the first weekend, I was going to be in Hanoi in the north. I had zero plan, right? Because I think, you know, a guidebook can only take you so far in the process, right? I mean, it can it's it's one person's view, you know, kind of limited scope of a place, whereas, you know, you just get to a place, you start talking, and everything, you know, that, that kind of, that magical kind of hidden gem of a place that uh that middle that happy medium ground um is is kind of only by talking to the locals and and not only locals but you know people who have moved there you know expats just just the whole thing you get a much more rounded picture by just leaving it up to chance i think yeah i totally hear you on the serendipity I, i i feel like that's part of the reason that why i love travel so much is that when you're in a new place that you have never seen before especially you your free will is maximized the amount of decisions that you can make is at the fullest extent and it just has this 
almost like an adrenaline rush where the possibilities are endless. Anything that catches your eye, especially if you're traveling alone, um, you know, and we can talk about traveling alone versus traveling in a group. But I, I do have a concern about how serendipity is going to change in the future with, you know, nowadays you can plan out your trip very exactly. It's like every single thing can be planned out ahead of time. You know, the hotel, the flights, the experiences, the tour guides. So it, I, I feel like that does take some of the magic out of it. But maybe, I mean, it, you know, it definitely has benefits as far as safety. I wonder what your guys' thoughts are as far as the, the trade-off between maybe safety and, and, and uh, serendipity. Yeah, yeah, Justin, do you want to you touch on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree with what you're saying. It's kind of, I, I've been one of those people also, just like both of you, that likes to maximize the amount of freedom that I have in the moment when I'm traveling rather than having it completely planned out. And I think when you do have something completely planned out, you don't get that freedom. You can't learn about the culture as much as maybe you could have if you just go and talk to people. Um, yeah, I mean, it kind of has that artificial feeling to it sometimes, like you're in mm -hmm. Disneyland, um, depending on the place. Like when I was in Venice, Italy, I you know loved it, obviously, but it felt very staged. Like there wasn't a whole lot of local culture. It was like the whole economy was based around tourism and presenting this this depiction of, of what Venice should be like based on the what's in the minds of the tourists. And then I've been in other places where like you really feel like it's your temporary home while you're there and you really make connections. And I wonder if over time there's going to be fewer and fewer of the places where you can have that those raw experiences and there's going to be more of the Disneyland sort of travel experiences. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting that you say that because I've, I've been talking about that nonstop since I've been over here. It seems like so many of these places, right, so many of the quote-unquote gems or the must-sees of these countries become such an industry that they just, the, the experience feels so mitigated, yeah. right? So from about in, in Vietnam, how long Bay? is you know you, you google vietnam and i'm sure that's that's half of the pictures on the on the on the search page uh same with the pp islands in thailand and seeing both of these places in my travels they've been perhaps the most disappointed i've been of any of the places right because really? it's like everything is just it's just like okay take your picture here get in line for this thing here like you can swim in only this one little restricted rope off area here and just tourists everywhere taking pictures it just it, none of it feels great and then the, and I think it comes with expectations too, right? And then you stumble across a little, you know, little private beach somewhere else that no one's ever heard of, and that becomes your favorite part. Right. Be better. So it's, it's interesting how that works. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of <laughs> this one fairly odd parents episode where they're going up this escalator and they're at like escalator world, and the, he, the kids like Jimmy's like, like, uh, what, when do we get to the ride? And the dad's like, this is the ride. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it feels like that when you're traveling it's like you're waiting in line to go to some historic site that's a must-see and everyone just waits for the best spot to take the instagram photo and then it's like okay check that off what do we do now okay what are the top reviewed restaurants okay let's go to this one. Oh, it's a super long wait and it becomes this game of like status uh you know and image crafting and it doesn't have to be, but that does seem to be a broad trend, especially with 
people, you know, in the first world visiting other third world countries. And, you know, I do think that there are ways that we can make it more authentic, but I'm not sure what those ways are. I wonder if, if you guys have any ideas or... Yeah, I mean, the problem is tourism is such a big industry in some of these countries. So if you, you know, try to make something authentic in a way that reduces the amount of tourists that come to see this thing, then that reduces the income to these third world countries, for example. Um, so there's, you know, there's something that we need to do to make sure that these countries are getting some sort of monetary value from, you know, these awesome sites. So they're preserved and maintained, but we also, you know, we need to figure out how to make sure that it's not so crowded that it takes away from the experience. And I, I don't really right. have a good answer to that. Well, I think, I mean, one example I was thinking of is Airbnb experiences where it's not just that you can rent a place to sleep for the night, you can also pay for an experience like, you know, Justin and I, we went to a, a sound bath ceremony <laughs> in Joshua Tree as an Airbnb experience. And this is just some guy who is just like, loves singing bowls and, you know, he's not like associated with any corporation or any company. And I think across the world, there are a lot of people who can now sort of be their own experiential host of their country or their culture. So I think there, there are ways that technology can make it better, um, but it does seem like right now a lot of the trend is, is pre-packaging things so you can get the economies of scale. Like I can't tell you how many Greek islands I've been to or other places where when you first get there, you're like, oh, this is a really cool like wooden carved figurine. And then a couple of days later, you're so sick of seeing these things because every single store has the same merchandise yeah. that's been mass produced and it loses that like actual you know sense sense of being something that that's unique mm -hmm. for sure and and i think you have to keep in mind that there's so many different types of travelers so many different types of tourists where i think a lot of people do want these these safely packaged i know exactly what i'm gonna get i know exactly where i'm gonna go experiences right say you've never traveled outside the country and you're bringing your wife and three kids you know, that's a bit different than maybe what we're looking for as a bit, you know, maybe more adventurous travelers who want that, you know, more authentic yeah. experience, which can be scary to some people. Right. So it's an interesting balancing act for the for these countries that rely on tourism to kind of handle. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the middle ground that I've worked out when I went on my honeymoon, because I'm a very different type of traveler to my wife, like she likes very much likes things to be planned out, whereas I'm more like the serendipity. So we had a middle ground where we just picked a few days where we specifically made those days unplanned. So it had a balance of pre-planning with some serendipity that we can do in the moment. And I've also heard of companies that now, like, for instance, nowadays it's a lot easier to just book a last minute flight. I mean, there's hotel tonight. So there are tools that make it easier that you don't have to plan everything out in advance. And especially just given the cost of travel now, I mean, I was just looking up the cost of international flights on Skyscanner, and it's incredible how many countries you can get to for less than 200 bucks, like yeah. so many countries. And that's, you know, even if you're making minimum wage, it's, it's only saving up for, you know, maybe some weeks, some months, and then you can buy an international flight. And if you go somewhere that has a good conversion rate, then you can pretty much live like a king over there. 
So it, it does seem surprising that so few Americans actually travel. And I was trying to look into the numbers here. There's nothing super definitive, but basically what I, what I found was that there's about 5% of the U.S. population that accounts for almost all of the trips in a given year uh, internationally. So there is like a very small group of people that do like, I, I forgot what it was, like 95% of, of all trips. But as far as people who have been outside the country like at least once, it's more like 40% of, of people, of adults, I should say. So that was actually higher than, than I had thought. But I guess a lot of it's, you know, Mexico, Canada, UK, uh, France, those are the by far the most common countries. Um, but I wonder if you guys have any thoughts on what the trends will be for the future as far as will more people travel abroad in the future? Like, will our kids and grandkids have a greater level of wanderlust than we did? Or do you think that people are going to get more fearful of going abroad or, you know, just less interested because they'll be able to do things in the digital realm? Well, I think it's definitely trending uh, as seen through our generation, it, I think the wanderlust is increasing, right? I think yeah. just comparing to our parents, you know, when I told my parents that I was going to Vietnam, for them, their generation, that was that was unthinkable for for such a such a, a majority of their lives, right? To to visit Vietnam, right? This crazy concept. Whereas I think I think we're just a lot more curious, our generation, and I think it's uh, I think things like gap years. Um, are being more encouraged than ever before. I think it's okay to um, to kind of go spend some time and and learn from the world in a way that maybe 30, 40 years ago it wasn't promoted. Essentially. Yeah. And what do you think the benefits are of a gap year? Like, why is it an important thing to go and learn from other cultures? I mean, for, I know for me it was. At, if I had to put like a before and after benchmark in my life, before and after seeing seeing the world, was would definitely be one of those benchmarks. But I'm but I'm oh, curious. I mean, you and I have talked about this before. My time when I so I I didn't do the gap year, but I did the study abroad uh, my junior year at Notre Dame uh, in London, and it was just it was incredible. And 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 I think that more Americans uh, should should push for it. it. It's interesting over here. It's just such a, such a common um, such a common thing. Uh, so many German, I mean, I can't tell you how many Germans I've met over here and, and European, it's just like you, you, you finish high school and it's, and it's, it just, you go, you go travel for a year, six months, a year, and you learn from the world. You grow up. I mean, I, I mean, I think I was a pretty mature 18 year old, but still, I, I, you go to college and you're just thrown into this thing, into this cycle. And, uh, I just, I, I think there's in, incredible benefits to traveling first, and standing on your own two feet out in the world, um, in, in increasing your perspective, and uh, and then getting back into things. Yeah, I mean the point about increasing your perspective is huge, right? Because if if you go and you've been or if you've been living in the U.S. your whole life with pretty much the same exact culture throughout the country, I mean there's there's different, a little bit different culture, but really we're not that different across the U.S. And then if you go to somewhere like Tokyo where everything is completely written in symbols and you can't make sense of anything, you just you have to figure it out. And it makes you think differently than you've been thinking your entire life. So it just kind of gets you out of this routine that, you know, that you've been 
that's been ingrained into your mind for you know your entire life and i just think that's super important yeah yeah just that just to be challenged a little bit right take yeah. you out of your comfort zone yeah. i think it's so important you know and and it may make you realize how easy we have it back going <laughs> yeah yeah and there's research to back that as well I, mean, I was looking into this and there's been two types of studies one that just shows people that travel and what the correlations are with other behaviors and then other ones where they actually prime people mentally about their travel experiences before taking tests like they have someone write about their experience abroad before taking a, a cognitive test or they just have them you know think about a solution in Greece as opposed to a solution in their hometown and in all of these examples having that travel mindset expands your perspective just like you guys are saying and because the researchers concluded that it was because you're able to see issues from multiple perspectives, multiple viewpoints. So you're not just in with your hardline first instinct that comes from your native culture. You may have that as your dominant viewpoint, but you're also able to see the other side. And you no longer think of, you know, Israeli being right and Palestine being wrong or, or whatever issue it may be. You, you empathize with all, all parties involved. And I think that's part of why it's also so magical when you go out and travel because you encounter other people who are traveling and they tend to have that same sort of open mind. Like when I was at, in Bali on the yoga retreat, everyone I met who was like a traveling international was just like the most open, down to earth, like, you know, just awesome person. And, uh, you know, I think that also makes it really special. Yeah. So what do you think in terms of um, if you think in the future there's going to be more traveling, Matamore? I know you asked us, but... Yeah, well, it does look like the trends are pointing towards more travel. So that mm -hmm. unless there's some big cultural change, like if we go super nationalist or something, maybe it'll change. But right now, more people are desiring to study abroad. More people are desiring things like a gap year. And there's also a lot of the... Like, I think Instagram plays a big role, and now people, ha like, even if it's not for the right reasons, they want to go to that play <laughs> to that cliff so they can take yeah. that famous photo. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and now with all the, a lot of jobs, you can do them remotely. There's this whole digital nomad movement, too. Yeah. So people are basically traveling and working. Um, it's kind of a long-term travel situation. And kind of to touch on a point you made earlier, the U.S. and um, especially Western Europe are relatively high cost of living places, and that's where a lot of travel tends to be. But if you think, you know, a little bit differently, and you go to, let's say, Southeast Asia, like like John is, or you go to Eastern Europe, or even you know South Africa, you can go to these places that are so cheap, and you can stay there for, you know, months on end at a fraction of what you're paying in the U.S. Or in Europe, yeah. or you know, Western Europe. And my so favorite tool this. for that is Nomads List, which was started mm -hmm. by the Product Hunt team. And you can basically go on this site, and it'll give you all of the cities in whatever region you're searching, rated by how's the weather there, how's the Wi-Fi, how's the food, how's the nightlife, yeah. how safe is it, what's the pollution, air quality like. It gives you all of these metrics so that you can really plan out your trip. Um, in a broad sense, but still have that level of serendipity where you're like, okay, I'm sort of near these countries. Let's see how they rank on digital nomads. And I'd 
like to go somewhere that has a really great nightlife or whatever you're looking for. Uh, mm -hmm. So yeah, these communities are really strong. I saw in the New York Times that there's an estimated 5 million Americans who are living as digital nomads and making a living wow. while they're seeing the world. And it's, it's pretty remarkable. So I'd like to now talk about the different technology that may impact the future of travel. And after that, maybe we can get into the future scenarios. But I guess first, you're traveling right now, John. Are there, is there any technology that you really depend on? Um, I mean, to tell you the truth, you know, the coolest part has been the SIM cards and how cheap it is, right? So you can, mm -hmm. you don't need to worry about international plans anymore. You, you literally, uh, at least in Vietnam, and I know Thailand's the exact same, you, you show up, you can get a SIM card for, for $10 and get, um, and get unlimited data in the country the entire time you're here. So you see, I think even, even from the time that I was living uh, in London and then when I was a teacher in Thailand to now, um, just just how easy it is to stay connected um, in in these places, and then to take Wi-Fi so seriously, and uh, and to be able to get around, it's just it makes it incredibly easy compared to even what it is a, what it was a few years ago. Yeah, and do you use any particular apps to help you get around that you like? Um, well, there's 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 the Maps Me app, which is uh, you don't have to be online for it, and uh. Uh, there's the GPS tracking, which is amazing. Obviously, yeah, Google Maps has that. You can download maps now. I love that new feature. Yeah, which is you know obviously it, it's nice to kind of have that safety blanket yeah. as you're walking. Uh, have you ever you done know. like the couch surfing app or any of the ones that sort of connect you with other people? Um, I have, and I know in a lot of people that's how that's how they get around uh, wow. here. Like, the community and the openness for that is uh, is is incredible. Actually, I, I couldn't believe how how prevalent it is in so many of these places. Yeah. Yeah, I've only used that once in Argentina, but it was it was great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah, yeah it's, I mean, it's, it's cool too, and I think a lot of people use it. Uh, a lot of locals use it as a way to learn English, which I think is so cool. And not even mm -hmm. in not even in the big cities, but in these remote areas, people will give up, uh, you know, their guest room or their couch or whatever for a night, and all they want in return, they just want to speak English. And, uh, and learn yeah. from you. It's, it's pretty, pretty neat to see. It's a fair trade-off. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And what are your thoughts on the Google Pixel Buds or some of these other wearables that translate in real time? Because they've been really hyped up by the industry where the idea is you can just have these earbuds in and then when someone's yeah. speaking whatever language, you can hear it, understand what they're saying, and then I guess you'd have to talk into your phone and have it you know, translate back to them. But it always struck me as being a little bit unnatural. And I, I understand that in a pinch, this would certainly really help you out. But I almost feel like playing charades in the way that two people that don't speak the same language tend to do is a more natural exchange. And it actually leads to deeper connections. Uh, but I'm curious if, if you would have used that or if you be, would, would be willing to use that kind of technology. You know, I, 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 I'm right there with you. It just, it feels unnatural. I, uh, I never experienced it before I was here, actually, on this trip um, in the Google Translate, right? So, yeah. like, to order on, on so many menus here, um, it, it literally, they, they hand you their phone and they want you to speak into it. And you're having this kind of handing each other the phone and, and trying to order, you know, noodles with, with beef, right? And it's, 
it's crazy. And I do. I, I miss uh, the charades, right? And, and, and when you get the gratification of connecting on some crazy hand motion that you do, and they get it in that moment, it's amazing. So it's, it's kind of, it feels, I don't know, if, yeah, again, with these mitigated experiences, handing a phone back and forth and speaking into it, it's neat. It's cool that you can, like you said, in a pinch, uh, kind of have that to bail you out. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I love it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, any other technology that, that you guys think is, is going to make a big impact on the future of travel? I mean, there's not that much technology you need while traveling because it kind of defeats the purpose in a lot of ways. I mean, I think having maps is just very crucial and to be able to make that phone call is also very crucial. But other than that, it's it's kind of better if you have less technology, um, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just I, getting Wi-Fi in remote areas that, I mean, in a way that can also take away from experiences. But like you said, to be able to make a call when you're out in the forest in the middle of nowhere or at least see which direction you need to go, like that's obviously an important thing when you're, you know, in some super unknown area of the world. Yeah. Now, I'd like to talk a little bit about the dangers of travel, because that's something that a lot of people who haven't been abroad, they're very concerned about. I mean, everyone's seen the movie Taken, and they can just imagine something like that happening. And I looked into the numbers and the odds of something, the odds of you getting killed while being abroad by unnatural causes is about one in 450,000. So... Hmm. Pretty low chances, <laughs> and 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 by far the top reason is car crash. Um, mm. I mean, there there are certainly other dangers. After car crash, homicide is the next one, then suicide, then drowning, but those are individually all very low odds. But I'm curious if if you've ever really felt like you were in danger while traveling or. And yeah, what that I, situation I, was like. I, I think, obviously, I, the world is a much safer place than I think the media wants to portray it. Right? You hear one, one terrible story, and that, that, that kind of uh, informs your view on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's my mother's view, right? When I if it bleeds, coming, it leads, as the news <laughs> yeah, industry says. Well, I think where a lot of people run into it is, is if you don't respect a culture, right? If you don't respect that you're not you know, on your turf anymore, I think that's when you can get in trouble, right? I think if you, yeah. if you're reckless about it, if you go get blackout drunk and, and pick a fight with a local, yeah, something bad's going to happen. But I think if you go in with an open heart and you respect it and, and try to have some empathy, um, and, and again, and, and, and take that ego out of travel, I think you'll be okay. Yeah. And then the other thing too, to keep in mind is it's, we would probably feel a little bit safer traveling alone than a female traveling alone too. Like there is, right. there is a slight difference in how, you know, that we can walk through the world. Um, but you know, the same principles that will keep you safe in the streets of LA are the, you know, you can pretty much use those ideas around the world. You just, you know, don't, you know, go into sketchy alleyways by yourself and don't, you know, it, it's pretty common sense stuff. You just don't, um, you just need to, I guess, be more aware of that sometimes when you're in a country where you don't really know anybody. 
Yeah, I mean, the biggest risk while traveling, at least in my experience, is as at least and as a dude, is, is getting hustled. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of times if they see a Westerner, people will just be all over you to buy their stuff. So that is definitely something that you got to grapple with. Um, and there are really there are some very dangerous parts of the world where kidnapping is big business. So that is something to be mindful of, you know, wherever you may be and being with a friend and like you said, not getting too drunk or disrespecting the locals is big. And especially for safety, I think the biggest thing is really just your composure while you're walking around. Like if you look like someone who knows where they're going and has their head screwed on right, they're not going to pick you. But if you're walking around like wondering where you are, you know, looking around with you know, carrying some rolly suitcases and, you know, then mm -hmm. you're just basically a, a target for whatever their ploy may be. Um, and then of, aside from the lethal dangers of travel, there's also getting locked up abroad, right? I mean, there's that whole National Geographic mm -hmm. series about getting locked up abroad where it's like you spit gum in, in um, Singapore and you get whipped in the streets or, you know, you smoke <sighs> a joint and you know, wherever and you get sentenced to death. And so wow. those are, those are some dangers. The odds are very low, but I think that I actually think what you said originally, John, about being respectful of the culture and sort of just becoming almost like a native while you are traveling, that's the best outcome across the board for safety, for experiencing, for your own personal growth, for every aspect of why people travel. Um, is really just immersing yourself in the way that people live in that country. Mm. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Awesome. Well, do you guys want to get into the future scenarios now? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's take a quick break and then get into the future scenarios for travel. All right, Justin, what do you think is the worst case scenario for the future of travel? Worst case scenario. So when I was first thinking about the worst case scenario, I was envisioning a future where basically there's no gems left in the world, right? There's everything is just completely um, industrialized, like we were talking about in the beginning, where there's there's not really much authenticity left of certain places. So, for example, I know, at least from what I've heard, going to places like the pyramids are, it's a little weird when you see the entire city of Cairo backed right up to the pyramids. Like, it, there's not really uh, pyramids out in the desert somewhere. And, you know, it, it's just, I think we're probably losing some of these gems. And I think in the worst case, we lose most of these gems. And it's just a scenario, it's a case where, we don't get any of the serendipity that we were talking about because everything is completely planned out and you have to wait in line for everything. Um, and I also think this is part of the issue, um, which is also part of, you know, this could be seen as a upside, but if we have a whole bunch of people traveling, like even more people, let's say travel multiplies by 10 because more people can work remotely and just be nomads all over the world. I think that would potentially create this scenario where, you know, there aren't these gems anymore because everyone's just waiting in line to get the next Instagram picture. So 
I don't know. It's it's hard for me to say I don't want people to travel because obviously I do, but um, I also want there to be some cool spots left in the world that are sort of unseen. At least you can kind of discover for yourself rather than being told to go to this place. Yeah. Yeah, I had a similar worst case scenario because yours really resonates with me. Mine is, I would summarize my worst case scenario where every country turns into either Disneyland or Syria as far as travelers are concerned. Mm. Like, if they're, like, let's take, I mean, as far as the broad trends, the biggest trends in my mind are climate change and the climate refugees that'll be created as sea level rises, disasters, all the stuff we described in that, our last episode. And also automation and globalization, which both of those things reduce the income for people. I mean, it's really hard to compete against these big companies that can come in and provide whatever you're providing at a fraction of the cost and use machine learning algorithms to, you know, make it a lot better. And, mm-hmm. you know, the full effects haven't been seen yet because, you know, a lot of these companies start in America and then Europe and then they kind of expand outwards from there. But I could see a situation where the countries that you're able to go to safely are very cookie cutter, you know, like Venice, Italy, like, you know, London may become more like that. Paris may become more like that. And it's like, those are the safe zones and you know exactly what you're going to get. And you go there and you got your whole thing planned out. And, and then the places where it's more authentic just become very dangerous because it's very uncertain there. And it'd be like if we had, you know, 20 countries that were in a similar state of, of Syria. And if there's an increasing nationalistic trend across the board, then people would be less willing to help some of these groups and it would lead to fear of travel. And I actually think that the less people travel, the more nationalism is going to flourish and the, just everything in the long run is going to be worse the least that we cooperate with, with each other across the human race and even across all species because we're, we're all sort of in this together. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, that's my worst case scenario. What do you think, John? Yeah, I, I agree with both of you. I think, I think Justin, your point, um, uh, I think through greed, I think a lot of the, the, the gems of the world could, could be ruined, right? And, 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 and that's terrible, you know, obviously through, through climate change and, 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 and just, just po- the pollution you see in all these incredible places just breaks your heart. Um, yeah. I think if it just continues in that direction, and again, I think it's greed-based, Right, um, and and they're not concerned about the future. They're about uh, concerned about making money right now. Right, and I think that's that heads you down a, a very very dangerous path. Uh, path, and then I think with imperialism uh, and capitalism, I think uh, so much of this could just all start to feel exactly the same. Right, yeah. everywhere you go, starts to feel exactly the same. Right, I mean, you can see it now. I mean, you, you're walking down the street and you can't not see a KFC. If you walk for five minutes in any big town in, in Southeast Asia, right? I mean, so after a while, you know, you, you just continue down that road and, and everything feels like this, this Disneyland, just where it, nothing feels authentic anymore. Um, and, 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 and places lose their true identity, which would be you know, mm-hmm. a, a real shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agree. Well, let's turn it around and talk about the best case scenario. Best case scenario. 
So yeah, what do you I, think is the best case, John? I think best case scenario is people and, and uh, use travel as a caveat to gain empathy, right? And that, and that creates um, a, a world where people are more informed uh, and, again, more, more empathetic. Um, and, and, and travel becomes maybe takes a step back from this, this greedy industry uh, that leads to things like pollution and corruption. And, and goes back to we find a way to preserve what is great and special and unique about these places. Um, and you can go and have a, a real experience. Um, and again, mm-hmm. learn from that mm-hmm. and then take, take that back to your world and learn these lessons. And, and we heal as a world through that. Yeah, I mean, that, that's pretty much right on par with what I was going to say. Just this cross-pollination of ideas and people coming together from different cultures is what I think the world needs right now, right? We, we're in this situation where we can we view people that don't look like us or so, you know, they're all the way across the world as the other. And, they, you know, we can treat them subhuman, you know, across the world or make decisions here and now that ultimately have an effect of on people across the world, like excess, excess pollution. And that, you know, when we pollute the air, that pollutes the entire world's air. And I think the best case is we, we start to see ourselves as citizens of Earth rather than citizens of the U.S. or citizens of, you know, Germany, you know, wh- whatever it is. And we're just, we, we can come together and I think through travel, that's probably one of the best ways to do that. Yeah, I completely agree. I think preserving the natural landmarks and the culturally important landmarks is going to be really key for the future of travel. I mean, if we can't get the pollution and climate part together, then it doesn't matter how nice the buildings are or how nice the kiosks are that show you digital screens of what this place used to look like in its heyday, the, the experience mm-hmm. will be ruined if, if we ruin the, the planet. And, you know, we talked in climate change about how in 50 years, 30 years, we don't know the exact number, but it, you will not be able to walk outside and look at the Taj Mahal in the summer because it'll be 130 degrees and the pollution will be like inhaling a cigarette every minute. And, you know, that's a terrible situation to to have because, you know, everyone would love to see the Taj Mahal. And so I I really think a lot of it hinges on how we deal with the environment. But if we do have this pro-environmental movement, I think that'll be coupled with people having more respect for the environment and really wanting to go and explore some of these great places, you know, the wonders of the world and that'll lead to cultural exploration. And like you said, Justin, that'll lead to more empathy across all different types of people. So I, I, I also agree that I think that's, that's the best case scenario. And, and just one thing I'll add is that from a technological perspective, if technology can become so advanced that it disappears, that it allows us to be more immersed in our experiences, like maybe today the Google Pixel Buds aren't what they need to be, but if in the future you could basically just have like your base, like travel buddy that would tell you whatever you need while you're going along and it feels natural like you're just talking to a friend but then other than that you never have to you know bring out your laptop or anything then it becomes more like you actually going out and exploring and and i think also with the digital nomad mm-hmm. movement 
It's like you can literally just have your phone or maybe your laptop in a backpack and you can just go anywhere and they'll have everything you need for right for you. Like you, like maybe a toothbrush, something because it's a personal item, but everything else, you can just go into these hostels or these Airbnbs or hotels or whatever, and they'll have whatever it is that you need there. And you can sort of just wander around the world like the world is your oyster. And that's something that was not possible at all, in, you know, until recent modern history. Mm. Yeah, I like it. What do you think for the most likely? Most likely scenario. So my most likely scenario is that by and large, travel continues to become more of a status game. I mean, if you've ever been to, like, even when I'm walking, you know, I work in Hollywood and I'll see people by the Hollywood sign or in Promenade or any place that tourists would typically go to. And you see these this army of people just taking care, taking photos like it's their job, like they're only viewing the world through the realm of the digital screen and just thinking about how they're going to say that they went there after they got it. And mm. I unfortunately, I think that trend is going to continue and there are going to be an increasing number of people traveling each year, but a lot of them will be doing it the wrong way. They won't be immersing themselves and expanding their mind. It'll more be like they're furthering the, the narration of their own ego and who they think of themselves as to be. Um, but I think that there's always going to be subcultures of people who are anti whatever the mainstream culture is. And in those subcultures, there's going to be a thriving group of digital nomads. There's going to be a thriving group of people who wander around the world and fight for for the environment and and preserve culture and and meet each other face to face and do things the old-fashioned way so so i am hopeful but i'm also a little fearful just looking at where the trends are right now what do you think john yeah i mean i i, I agree with you Matamore. um but i guess even okay if you if you look at it i mean okay there definitely there's there's the Instagram culture and just trying to get the picture just there just to say just to show it to your friends. But at the end of the day, I still think that's better than not traveling at all, right? So at yeah. least at least there at least you're you're picking something up. Um, but yeah, I think I think the most likely is that it, it does it has to get a little bit worse. It's going to get a little bit worse before it gets better, especially with pollution um, and climate trends. But I think as you touched upon, Madam Moore. Um, there, 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 there's a group. I mean, it's a growing consciousness of that we need, we need to change to preserve this, and and how special these experiences can be. But if we don't do something about it, um, you know, it's 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 a slippery and dangerous slope, and we and we risk losing a lot of these things. Yeah, and and one easy way that one thing that we could do to have more people travel and more people have this perspective, you could have a simple policy like the government gives people. A stipend to travel for every American citizen when they turn 18 or when they turn 21 or whatever the right age is. But they did a similar thing in the in uh, Obama's administration to promote the national parks and going outdoors. And every fourth grader had some time off school and they got free entrance for them and their family to any of the national parks for the entire year when they're in fourth grade. And that really wow. helped make people feel like 
nature is something we need to take care of. Now I have a personal relationship with nature. Now I care about what goes on in these parks and what the policies are. In the same way, if we made it so that every person, when they're just becoming a young adult and transitioning into adulthood, if they can go then travel the world, then all of a sudden they're going to care about what happens in Europe or Asia or Africa or wherever they may travel to. And yeah. that's, not, that, that's not a very difficult policy to make, mm. especially given the cost of flights is always going down, cost of travel is going down. So I, I am hopeful that we, make, we have some good policy changes as well. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. I, I, I think that'd be be incredible for governments to push for gap years um, in a sim in a kind of a, in a similar program of how insurance companies give parents uh, tax breaks if their kids get all A's, right? Similar kind of thing. If your kid travels, studies abroad, there's some sort of incentive there, um, a, a kind of a yeah. commitment investment in the future. And kind of that, cool. that'll have returns for the economy as well. So even if, you know, the government is just thinking selfishly, I mean, in the studies that I cited earlier, it makes people smarter, more empathetic, more open, willing to cooperate just by going for a two week trip to someplace you've never been or even a one week trip. I mean, it's amazing how little you have to be out of your comfort zone of your default mode network of where you, you know, go to the same breakfast place every morning, drive the same route to work each day. It's like the number of choices most people make in a typical day is like, oh, do I want like the tuna or the chicken? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it's so just get it even for, you know, one week every three years would just make a world of difference to most people's lives. Yeah. So I guess uh, I'll finish off with my likely scenario, but I'll, so I took this a little differently. Um, I think the the amount of travelers is only going to increase. I think you know with technology and the way that the trends that we're seeing with jobs, and you know if a whole bunch of jobs get automated away, you know maybe there has to be something like a UBI. I, you know for you know on a side note, I think if there is some sort of UBI, that'll just exponentially increase how much travel is being done. Well, in the countries that have the UBI, yeah, yeah, unless yeah. there is like a glo like a truly universal, but we that, we may have to wait a couple hundred years for that. Yeah, that's true. But anyways, um, the so what I think is going to happen is we do continue to see these these huge monuments and you know the the really known ones become more and more industrialized, uh, which I you know I think that's more towards the worst case um but at the same time there there's an upside to the the whole travel industry um i know there you know there are some negative aspects to it but there are also aspects to it where there is an incentive to preserve 3000 year old mayan ruins if right, if there wasn't right. if there wasn't an incentive structure for uh people in like, fairly poor countries they could use this land for something else, but instead they're using it as a nature preserve because that's what the tourists want to see. You know, even if it's sort of a, a pseudo nature preserve where there's, you know, people making sure that jaguars don't make it onto the property all day, um, you know, to kind of t keep out the dangerous wildlife and stuff, there's still a place that is fairly um, natural 
and yeah. and it's being preserved because of travel. So that's that's the upside of having all of these travelers is there might be more an incentive structure for people in countries to preserve, let's say, the Amazon. If people, you know, if South America pe- becomes a hub of traveling, then maybe the Amazon becomes uh, a place that we want to preserve instead of cut down all the trees for farming and lumber. So, you know, I, I just think there it's there's going to be two sides of it. You know, we, we just have to... I think both are probably going to be equally likely um, and both are going to happen. Yeah, I, just... I mean, if you look into the future, like even 20 years, most mm. of the storefronts that are just like someone selling their wares that are right there in the store are going to disappear. I mean, especially, I mean, even in San Francisco, I've noticed that a lot of the buildings that used to be malls that you would go in, you'd pick up these physical items and take them with you home they're turning into more experiential places. Like they're taking down malls and they're putting in co-working spaces, they're putting in escape rooms, they're putting in, you know, places for people to gather. And Mm -hmm. I think that trend, it may take a while to reach out to the other parts of the world, but like you said, the culturally historic places are going to be the most important places for these countries economically over the long term. I mean, Saudi Arabia is getting completely off of oil by the year 2050. Like their cultural landmarks are going to be a bigger moneymaker than where they make 90% of their money today. And so I think there's going to be a big movement towards more experiential. And if that's coupled with more travel and more open mindedness, then we may achieve global unity on some of these major issues sooner than we think. Yeah, I like it. I think that's that's a good place to wrap up. Global unity. Awesome. <laughs> Any final thoughts, John? Or are you, you good? No, I, I think this was this was this was good. This was this was very fun. I appreciate you guys having me on today. It's good. Yeah, good to have you. Awesome. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been talk about the future what of has travel. happened, and what is currently happening, time. and what will inevitably happen. The past, the present, and the future